Hey, I'm here. Can you hear me now? All right. Good afternoon, Liberty Hills Bible Church. It is uh, certainly a joy to be with you on this uh, Good Friday. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number one. As you're turning there, I thought I'd just give you just a quick update on uh, some of the activities that we'll be engaging in during our, uh, our short time this afternoon. Uh, we certainly are going to be reading a lot of scripture. Um, I want us to be just overwhelmed with uh, the purposefulness and the intentionality of the crucifixion of Christ, but ultimately the hope that it does provide for us personally. And so we'll be reading lots of scripture. We're also going to have an opportunity for you to sing a couple songs with us. Um, always entering into a time of worship through song certainly helps us uh, quiet our hearts, but also stir our hearts up towards the realities of these truths. And then obviously I'll be sharing some devotional thoughts as we work our way through uh, our time together. And so uh, I've asked you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter number one. Uh, we are going to uh, kick our Good Friday devotional off with reflecting on uh, the folly or the foolishness of the cross. If you don't have your Bibles handy, I believe we're, we're uh, showing the uh, text, the verses up on the screen as well. So you can follow along with me as I read. Let us hear the word of the Lord this morning. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. I pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This afternoon, we have an opportunity to hit the pause button in uh, some way of, of unique, unique circumstances. Maybe you're still working uh, from home. Uh, those of you that uh, have kids in school, maybe you uh, have some additional responsibilities with homeschooling and making sure the, the, the kids are, are tracking towards their goals and objectives. Um, I know even in this uh, short time of being in quarantine that our family and our life, our marriage, uh, relationship with our kids has taken on a little bit of a, new, uh, a unique feel. Uh, but I'm hopeful as we have an opportunity right now to just stop uh, and reflect on what this day represents. I pray that it will be a very meaningful and helpful and encouraging time for us all. So it's on this day. Uh, the Friday before Easter that Christians really all across the world are going to be gathering to uh, commemorate 
and reflect on the crucifixion of Christ. And we have come to know this day as, as Good Friday. Uh, but it's important uh, as we tune into this YouTube live stream service to uh, be mindful of the danger. And I think the danger of it is this, that we can know a lot of academic truths. We can know a lot of stuff about what this time frame represents about this person, Jesus, that we read about in the story of, of the Bible, but yet we miss the personal relevance and the significance of what this day really means, really for all of mankind, but not just all of mankind, for you and for me personally. And so I would challenge us, encourage us as we prepare uh, for this Good Friday devotional that you would be engaged uh, and that you would prayerfully consider what the Lord has for you in remembering and reflecting on one of the most significant events in the history of mankind, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, um, what we represent on this day uh, to shed his blood for the sins of mankind. Uh, very, very significant, very, very relevant uh, for all of us. And I hope that we will not get caught up in a date on a calendar, on a holiday of sorts, but we would remember that these are real events, that Jesus Christ was a real man that wasn't just a character in a storybook, but was a real man that walked on this earth and lived in this world and changed it, turned it upside down by his teaching, by his life and his ministry and his works. And so we have an opportunity on this Good Friday as we continue to work our way through this holy week to reflect on specifically Jesus's death and crucifixion on the cross of Calvary. And so all of those things, his person, his work, his life, his death, it's important for us to remember that all of this demands a response. Uh, we can't remain neutral um, to these realities. You can't choose um, to believe or not believe uh, in, in, or you can, uh, you cannot choose to not believe in Jesus, right? We have to, it demands a response where we have to, to choose what do these events mean to me personally. And so we see this even uh, in Jesus's time where he was calling them to respond to his personal work. In Matthew 16, Jesus is asking his disciples a question. And that question was simple. He says, uh, who do people say that I am? And the disciples quickly jumped in. They had heard all the responses. They had heard all the, uh, the buzz within the crowds of who this man might be that's teaching like they've never heard, who's doing signs and miracles and wonders, who might this Jesus actually be? And some said that he was John the Baptist. Others said that he might be Elijah or maybe even Jeremiah or another of the prophets. And Jesus heard his disciples responding in this way, and he tweaked his question a bit. And he moved it from a crowd-based question to really a personal question. He no longer said, who do people say that I am? But now he adjusts that question and he asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And friends, this, no doubt, this question right there, who do you say that I am? Us being confronted with the personal work of Jesus and that demanding a response, that will be the most important question that we will ever be confronted with in our life on this side of eternity. Why? Because how we answer that question, who do you say that I am, 
it will have implications for our life, not just here, but for all eternity. So what's the purpose and goal of our Good Friday devotional? It's, it's this. My hope and my prayer would be that we would come to a fresh uh, perspective and a new value of the simplicity of the gospel message that we preach Christ and him crucified, that we would value that, that we would love that and appreciate that we would find richness and hope and grace and mercy in this reality that Christ came, that he took on flesh. He left all the prerogatives of heaven and he became obedient even to the point of death on a cross, that we would be gripped with that reality that Jesus Christ, the son of God, did that work for a very specific purpose for you and for me. But the story doesn't stop there. It's through that death on a cross that God the Father is, has given Jesus a name that is above every name. And that it's at that name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so that is the hope of the resurrection. That is the hope of the crucifixion. That in the midst of pain, in the midst of shame, in the midst of mockery and hurt, there is hope and there is a glory in that crucifixion that we're going to reflect on yet this afternoon. So it's at this point that we're going to invite you to sing with us our first song. And the first song we're going to sing is entitled, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. And this song is really a reflection of just that, what Christ did, the giving of his life, and as as a result, the salvation that he secured on our behalf. And there's a beautiful reality in this song that it's a mystery. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. There's nothing that I have done that would uh, elicit this type of response from Christ that he would say, now you deserve this and I'm going to come and give my life for you. No, it was nothing that we have done. He freely came and loved and shown his grace and mercy. And it's because of that work that we can have a relationship with him. So let's sing this song together. Come behold the wondrous mystery. Come behold the wondrous mystery In the dawning of the King He the theme of heaven's praises Robed in frail humanity In our longing, in our darkness Now the light of life has come Never trace nor stain of sin See the true and better Adam Come to save the hellbound man Christ the great and sure fulfillment Of the law in him we stand 
wondrous mystery Christ the Lord upon the tree In the stead of ruined sinners Hangs the Lamb in victory And see the price of our redemption See the Father's plan song that is oh, come behold the wondrous mystery uh, I'd encourage you to reflect on that song uh, maybe this evening with the family uh, even through this this weekend just a great message of Christ and his life uh, as we transition into our, our time of devotion uh, I, I have really just three basic um, ideas and um, ultimately insights concerning the crucifixion that I want to share with you uh, this afternoon, I pray it'd be help and encouragement to you. The first uh, observation is this, the crucifixion of Jesus was in conflict with the expectations of others. The crucifixion of Jesus was in conflict with the expectations of others. You see, there was a conflict of expectations in the Jewish understanding of the Messiah. To, uh, to them, the Messiah was to come and establish a real, literal, earthly kingdom, right? It was through this Messiah that they would receive uh, really liberation and freedom from this oppressive Roman empire. And Jesus certainly did not come on those terms. You see, there was a conflict of expectations. Uh, today is my wife's birthday. And uh, so shout out to my wife. Uh, she uh, is going to be 36 years old today. And she's had many birthdays. Uh, hopefully, I'd, I don't embarrass her too much by telling her age on YouTube. I guess we can never take that away now. Uh, but uh, she uh, is no doubt going to have a very unique birthday today, right? Every year, the birthdays roll around, and they typically have with it some level of expectation, right? For our kids, it's always got to involve, uh, obviously, a cake. It's got to have some gifts, of course. There's going to be typically friends 
and family that would gather around and, and celebrate uh, the birthday and, and this individual. And uh, specifically for my wife today, um, she's, she's stuck with just uh, myself and, and our four kids. And I'm sure we'll make it as, as special of a day as we possibly can. But typically, um, this day involves uh, sharing it actually with her, her brother. So shout out to Jonathan. Uh, his birthday was just a couple days ago. We typically have a family birthday and we celebrate both of their their lives and uh, their meaning to us and significance in our families. And it's always a great day of celebration. And um, this year is going to look a little bit different. And I'm sure there's going to be uh, some different expectations that are going to be established. But uh, have you ever had unmet expectations, whether it be a certain situation where you were going to meet an in- individual at a place and they didn't show up, you had expectations that they were going to be there at that time, but yet they, they didn't show up. And that's challenging, right? It's difficult to wrap our mind around how to handle things when they don't go as we thought they should. And so the disciples and the crowds and uh, the Jewish mindset as a whole, they're really grappling with trying to understand how they reconcile their expectations with the message and ministry that Jesus has established over his uh, three-year ministry. And ultimately, we see this missed expectation taking place in Matthew chapter number 16. We see this in verses 21 through 23 from that time. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, right? That's this holy week, and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes. That's right now today. This is Good Friday. Jesus has, has come into Jerusalem. He was, he was uh, arrested. This would be on Thursday evening. The Sanhedrin have, have gathered and they have charged him with blasphemy. They've taken this offense forward to uh, Pontius Pilate. And uh, once he learns that Jesus is a Galilean, he wants to rid himself of that, knowing that actually Herod would be over jurisdiction of anything that would take place for a Galilean. Herod happens to be in Jerusalem, so this is very convenient. He sends Jesus over to Herod, and Herod has actually been looking forward to meeting Jesus for his own personal reasons. He's eager to see a sign and miracle as the, the buzz and the word is spread about Jesus and his ability to do these miracles. And Herod ultimately um, will press him with many questions. He will taunt him and ultimately ridicule him. He'll throw this um, these royal clothing on him. And what does he do? He sends him back to, to Pilate. And ultimately, Pilate uh, will come to the conclusion that this man has done no wrongdoing. But because you have charged him with blasphemy, will punish him and, and, and will move on. Uh, The crowd is not going to have any of that, right? Uh, The crowd is demanding. They start yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And we know ultimately that Pilate will give in to the demands of the crowd. They'll release Barabbas. They'll take Christ, ultimately take him to a cross and crucify him. But it was at that point, right, where um, Jesus is reminding his disciples that this is going to take place. This is why I have come. Many, I will suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 16. And on the third day, be raised. Verse number 22, Peter took Jesus aside. And what did he do? He began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen 
to you, right? We have a conflict of expectations, even among the disciples, right? So verse 23 goes on, and what was Jesus's response? But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see, friends, what we learn from this reality is that we must come to Jesus on his terms and not our own. This is why Jesus will go on in Matthew 16 to remind them that if any man comes after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We come to Jesus on his terms and not our own. So there's a conflict of expectations in this Jewish understanding of the Messiah. Many view the life of Christ and his ending death as uh, a failure. They view Christ in terms of a failure. It was a life cut short. They might say that this was a life that was largely unfulfilled. But we know this perspective to be in direct conflict with Christ's own words of why he came. Jesus came for one reason. He makes it crystal clear as it's recorded in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Luke 19, verse 10 reminds us, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So the crucifixion represents a conflict of expectation. Secondly, the crucifixion of Jesus was necessary in providing reconciliation to others. The crucifixion of Jesus was necessary and providing reconciliation to others. This is why Jesus had to go to the cross. There was no plan B. There was no alternative. This wasn't a failure on the part of Christ that he ended up on a cross, right? Let's be clear. This is the very reason why Jesus came, to end up on a cross. Jesus came to live. He came to love, but he came to give his life as a ransom for many. That meant shedding his blood on the cross of Calvary. Friends, this was not an accident. This was no failure. This was not um, a mishap of some sorts. This was purposeful. Friends, Christ ending his earthly life on a cross was providential. It was powerful. It was necessary. And through the crucifixion, through Christ willingly giving himself up on the cross, it provided an opportunity for reconciliation. What's reconciliation? It's the removal of our conflict with God. So Jesus, through his death on the cross, gave an opportunity for sinful mankind to have our conflict with God the Father to be removed. To be removed. And that conflict is caused by our sin. And that conflict could only be removed. It could only take place through the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. So he did this again willingly. Certainly he wrestled and, and struggled. We have this recorded in Matthew 26, 39, there at the Garden of the Gethsemane, where he cries out to the Father, praying to him. Um, this is where he sweat drops of blood and he's crying out to the father in agony. He says, if it be possible, he knows he's an all-knowing God. Yes, he is the son of God. He is the son of man, but he is fully God as well. He knows all things. He knows what this crucifixion is going to entail. He knows the pain, the shame, 
He knows the abandonment of the father that he's going to experience on the cross. So he cries out to the father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If there be any other way, Lord, let it pass from me. But he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And as Jesus willingly submitted himself to the will of the father and became obedient, we know that he joyfully went to the cross. It seems like that couldn't be possible that somebody could joyfully go through this incredible pain um, that has been known as the Roman crucifixion. How do we know that? Hebrews 12, 2 tells us he did. It says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Wow. Despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, friends, Jesus went to the cross because it was necessary. It was necessary because without Christ, we are always in our sins. And in our sins, we are in a state of enmity or conflict with God, as James 4 would tell us. So what does it mean to be reconciled to God? Calvin describes reconciliation as the peace that is secured between humanity and God. And this peace requires two things, or this reconciliation requires two things. It requires, it results through the expiation or the payment of our sin and also the propitiation of God's wrath, which is the appeasement. So it requires payment for sin, the expiation of our sin, and it requires the appeasement of God's wrath, which is the the theological term of propitiation, right? So God, through Christ, appeased and paid for our sin through the blood of Jesus. That could never have happened but for Christ going to the cross and being crucified. Ephesians, Ephesians 2 speaks to our hopeless state without Christ. Paul says this to the church at Ephesus, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is who we were before Christ, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse four, but God, this is divine intervention into our problem of sin, divine intervention with a plan to reconcile, to resolve, to appease the wrath and to make a payment for our sin. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Verse six, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in whom? Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is 
not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, this is what reconciliation looks like. Our very identity but to be changed from a child of wrath, a son of disobedience to what? A child of God ushered out of darkness into light. That could not have been possible without the death of Jesus on the cross. First Peter 2, verses 24 and 25, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. You see, Jesus paid for our sins on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, Peter tells us. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you are strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see, we were created to be in relationship with God the Father. That was broken by sin all the way back in the garden uh, in Genesis. But there was a true and better Adam. It was Jesus Christ who came, took on flesh, lived and died, shed his blood so that we could be reconciled back to God. That conflict to be removed through Jesus. A third and final point this afternoon is this. The crucifixion of Jesus should move us to love others like Jesus. The crucifixion should move us. It should stir us up to love others like Jesus. When we as believers truly wrap our minds and our hearts around what motivated Jesus to go to the cross and endure that shame and that pain and that torment and that ridicule and that abandonment, if we truly personally understand that, friends, we will receive that reconciliation by God's grace. But guess what? We have an opportunity to now be ministers of that same reconciliation on this earth right now today. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 through 21 reminds us, for the love of Christ controls us, Paul says, because we have concluded this, for one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, get this, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors, representatives of Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The beautiful passage of scripture, the crucifixion of Jesus should move us, stir us up to love others like Jesus did.
So what does it look like for us to live rightly in light of this crucifixion of Jesus Christ? What does it look like for us on this Good Friday to really understand the personal relevance and not just know it by mental assent, but really allow it to move us to action, to change us, to be not conformed to this world, to be transformed by the renewal of our minds that we might be more like Christ as a result of receiving the word of God on this day, this Good Friday, as we reflect and remember that Jesus went to the cross, endured shame, gave up his life, and allowed for reconciliation to be possible between God and man. What does it look like for us right now to live rightly in light of the crucifixion of Christ? It looks like this. Friends, we we wake up to the reality of the crucifixion. We wake up to the reality that Jesus is who he said he is. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He is the I am, the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth and the life. And no man is going to come to the Father but by Jesus. We wake up to the reality that Jesus chose me. I did not choose him. That Jesus initiates this work of reconciliation, that Jesus sustains this work of reconciliation, and Jesus will bring to completion this work of reconciliation, a work that I could never do. We wake up to the reality that it's all about the glory of God, that it was the will of the Father that he give his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. We wake up to the reality that is the depth and the width and the breadth and the greatness of the love of God towards us. He allowed his son to go to a cross. We wake up to the reality that he adopted us into his family for those of us that know Christ ushered us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It means we wake up to reality that the Jesus inside of us is greater than the devil in the world. Amen. We don't have to experience death. Why? Because life has already been won. We don't have to experience defeat. Why? Because victory has already been secured. We don't have to experience despair. Why? Because joy has already been fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ as he went to the cross. Jesus knew that his death and ultimately his resurrection would be the catalyst that would turn this world upside down with the good news of who Jesus is. So friends, this afternoon on this Good Friday, this allows for all the pain, the shame, the ridicule, the wounds, the mockery to truly be good on this Good Friday. Because it was only through Christ's death that we can have life. So this afternoon, I hope and I pray that these words, this little devotional, the scriptures, that the Lord would use them to stir us up and value and appreciate and understand the crucifixion in a new and a fresh way. This next song we're going to sing is entitled, The Lord is My Salvation. And it's a song of testimony based on everything that we have just 
heard, everything that we have received in the ministry of the preaching of the word and through the public reading of scripture, everything that we have just brought our hearts and our minds to contemplate, the response is this, and it is only this, the Lord and the Lord alone is my salvation. Let's sing this song together. All right. Amen. What a beautiful song that is. Uh, we are going to leave you this afternoon with uh, the public reading of Isaiah 53. I uh, really can't think of a better passage of scripture on this Good Friday for us to reflect on and consider uh, exactly what Christ uh, went through uh, during this crucifixion time. So Isaiah 53, you can follow with me as I read. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death. That was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressions. This is the word of the Lord this afternoon. Friends, we hope and pray that you have been encouraged, that you've been challenged. We would encourage you as you continue to work your way through this weekend to maybe revisit some of these scriptures, get into the gospels to read that crucifixion account, to go to Isaiah 53 and thank the Lord for everything that he has provided you in and through his crucifixion may be blessed and we'll look forward to seeing you again as we celebrate an empty tomb as the story doesn't 
end here as he defeats sin, death, and hell on Resurrection Sunday. We'll see you then. Good day.